We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Fun football is back, and I, for one, can't wait for it to extend through the weekend. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Just a smooth 4-1 victory for Arsenal. You know what you expect. Lots of chances, lots of goals, scintillating football, entertainment, nonstop, and a great win. Um, you know, par for the course. Would expect it to continue this weekend against whoever we're playing. I haven't looked at the schedule, and I'm not sure uh, it's anyone particularly relevant, but whoever it is, they should be worried. Uh, so we are here to tell you all about that, and here to do it with me is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at ClivePFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Paul, you can find him on Twitter, pause in my pants, hello, pause. Woohoo. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter, Stubberto, hello, Tim. I love that. And those of you, uh, wherever you are all over the world listening to this, I hope you are doing well. I hope you're staying safe and happy and healthy and uh, enjoyed the game. Uh, we will talk a bit about the game, but we will, of course, focus on that game at the weekend that I uh, referenced obliquely. It's the North London Derby. It is a big game, so we do want to talk about that. So for this podcast, uh, a little bit about the Europa League, a little bit about Derby, but I want to start first with Tim. Because, Tim, you did a thing. It says here, let me see if I'm reading this right, because I, I wrote it down. It was so it hit me. So you, It says here, went to Emirates Stadium to watch football. Is this correct? What I'm reading? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Novelty. How was that? Yeah, yeah. Weird. Um, no, it was it was really nice actually, and um, there, there were a few things like I wasn't ex- and I'll try not to repeat too much of what I said on the Patreon pod. Although I I appreciate not everyone is a patron, but 
um you know i had like a one in ten chance of a ticket and i and i got one um on saturday morning so that was great and i was kind of taking it in my stride tim, not tim, least because like this isn't yeah t- tim I, ju- I just want to stop you you don't you don't have to hide the fact that we ponied up all our Patreon money and bunged you a ticket to the game. Like we, we can just admit that on Mike. You had a ten and ten chance well, when we well, slipped the brown. Look, brown paper envelopes are how it's done in football, mate. Like we can just admit it. Sorry, yeah, that probably I, wasn't I, worth interrupting you for. Go ahead. I, I George Grahamed it. They're in the pocket and, um, a big podcast. <laughs> And, uh, and yeah, and so I kind of took it all in my stride, not least because like um, I know that, you know, I'm probably not going to be back for the next home game. I'll, I'll find out on Monday. But again, I've got a one in 10 chance in a ballot this time. So, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like a, a big return to normality because it was only 2000 people um, don't know when it's going to happen again. All things being equal, I should be able to go back once, maybe twice this season, which is great. That's a lot more than I thought I'd get a month ago. Um but it, it was it was um it was really nice and what some of the things I guess that I hadn't really realised um until going to this game is um you know just meeting up with my friends again before the game and I've I've obviously been in constant contact with them um because of techno hashtag technology for the last nine months. But, um, you know, well, very few of the pubs are open at the moment. The ones that are, obviously, you can't go in in big groups. So we actually met under a railway bridge in two groups of six uh, in accordance with UK law. Um, You're allowed to gather in a group of six outdoors. Um, And there were 12 of us. So we gathered in two groups of six and we drank tins of beer under a railway bridge, um, like a bunch of 15-year-old vagrants with Mm -hmm. fake IDs. And it was great. And what was really nice was um, just talking to people and thinking, well, yeah, it actually like it had stopped occurring to me that I hadn't actually seen you in nine months because we're in constant digital contact. And I think that's the thing I really took away from the evening, the the sense of like community um, that going to a football game actually brings. And um, the moment it really came home to me was Arsenal, really, really nice touch. All of the stewards applauded each fan one by one hmm. um, as, the, as they came through the turnstiles and kind of did a like a, a bit of whooping and all of that. And, uh, and, you know, when it's your turn, it's kind of like, it's really nice. It's a little bit embarrassing. It's like you're walking up for an award or something and you're just like, yeah, I'm just making like a beeline for the gents, to be honest, because I've just drunk like six tins of beer under a bridge and there's no toilet there. So I'm kind of busting. <laughs> and and uh, but that was really nice and and it kind of that that i guess that sense of community again and people singing um again and people you know everyone was really excited to be there even though it was a europa league group stage game and the first goal was celebrated like quite vociferously um and you could tell the celebration was about a lot more than going one nil up against rapid vienna mm. um in a frankly dead rubber europa league game so it 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 just kind of it really brought home to me um, that sense of community um, that you get as being a fan and that it's not just about arguing on the Internet all the time and that there's more that like I know this sounds really corny, but there's more that binds you as fans of a club than there is that separates you. And I think I think um, it's kind of become easy to lose sight of that a little bit over the last nine months where the experience has been almost exclusively digitized. Um, and yeah, and and it was it was lovely. It was really really lovely. It's not normal. It wasn't normality, but it was a little window back um, into normality, and it felt like half a step back in the right direction. Um, and that in itself, just separate to the football, felt felt really life affirming. Um, 
actually and you you've got this sense of camaraderie like wow like the the whole world's going through this and everyone's fighting their own battle with it but actually you know we are all kind of um in our own way grappling with this situation and 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 i just forgot what it was like to be around a couple of thousand people again um you know nearest i've come to that is like the supermarket where there might be 50 people Mm. um and that that those kind of instincts you learn inside a football ground and i was listening extra carefully to the things that people were saying and and it just makes you laugh like the stupid useless stuff that we all say like in football grounds just like when you've got guys and and i'm not immune to this at all going like keep it tight arsenal keep it tight arsenal or you know clean sheet clean sheet get it away and stuff like this and all this stuff that you think in your rational brain you think well this is all useless they're not listening to you and nor should they listen to you or i but all these things you shout to make yourself feel better and it was it was just really nice to re reconnect with some of those things again Mm, i i you know obviously i can't say what it must have felt like but i can say as someone who watching it even that little bit of injection of energy made a game that otherwise would have felt really pointless in some ways feel like more of a spectacle than the Premier League games have, at least for me. Now, maybe some of that was the fact that the football was quite fun. And I, I you know, I said this on the, the reaction pod, but I'll say it again. There's going to be some bad correlation causation talk that happens now because there's going to be a lot of people who will immediately see the fact that we played well with fans in the stands and say it was the cause. Uh, correlation is not causation, as we are told constantly. And like, I, I think every time you play poorly when it, 2,000 fans boo, and every time we now play well when 2,000 fans clap, there will be this presumption that, like, that's what was missing, actually. The football was always fine, or it was always bad, or it was always good, but it was the fans, and now that the fans are there, it's all restored. Like, don't get me wrong, the fans have a connection to the team, and the team and the fans feed off each other. I, I, I'm not denying that. I mean, we've seen away form become a lot more uh, analogous to home form for teams without fans, so we know it matters. But I, I think we need to be careful about drawing conclusions, at least on small sample sizes with, you know, a couple thousand fans in the stands. But it is great as a viewer at home to, to have that energy there. It reminded me a little bit of 1980s video games, though, because, Tim, like, the way you guys were all spread out, it was, like, very geometric. You know what I mean? So it was like, it was like someone mm-hmm. had digitally inserted fans in very geometric, specific way in the stands. It was very, very weird. Um, Paul, I, just real quick about this game. I, I want to get into a few of the performances, but, like, it was fun, and I, there is a tendency to dismiss these games because the level of the opposition is so poor. And and Giant Gunnar on Twitter made the point that um, they made seven changes, Rapid Vienna, from the weekend. So this isn't even Rapid Vienna. This is Rapid, Rapid Vienna B, basically. So yeah, they're bad. They're really, really bad. And to try to call this a litmus test, I think, is wrong. It is always a challenge to understand, then, how to take things away from the game and what it means for future games but it doesn't have to mean anything are you able to just engage with this game in a way where you say i'm not going to presume anything that happened on thursday is relevant for what we do next but i really enjoyed it and it was fun to see the ball going forward it was fun to see centrality it was fun to see chances being created from different angles and positions on the pitch it was fun to see some of the young players linking up and not then make the leap to say and they'll do it in the derby at the weekend just to to let the game exist sort of in isolation Yes, yes, I am. God damn it! <laughs> Good. Um, like uh, I, I think I made the point yesterday. The, these we forget how talented all these players are uh, in our squad, um, and sometimes you don't see it till the water level drops a little bit in terms of the competition you're against. I mean, Rapid Vienna weren't very good, 
and they gave us that extra yard all over the pitch. Um, in the Premier League, you don't get that yard. You don't get these guys don't get a chance to show. It's kind of might be a little bit like what, going to watch the Harlem Globetrotters play now, just because they're up against who is it? The Washington something or others, Cardinals or something. Generals. Um, Generals does not mean that those guys don't have just amazing skills. So, like, there's that aspect of it. The second aspect is it was consequential in the sense of we needed not just uh, a win, we needed a good performance. And I think, going back to your causation uh, uh, argument, I do wonder if having the crowd there on this game, I mean, it becomes a little bit background noise when they're there every game all the time, but there was an there was an energy for me watching this that I haven't seen for some time. And of all our uh, rope-a-dope games in the Europa League so far, this was the one where I think we played well for 90 minutes all the way through, maintained the energy. Everybody who came, came on, you know, Danny came on, uh, even Willian uh, looked to do something, prog- you know, he actually took on a guy and beat him. Um, like everybody who came on came to play for 90 minutes. So I think the crowd added a little bit here. And it's, so it's, con- it's consequential that we needed an uptick in, our, in the narrative at Arsenal, something that made us feel good for, for a couple of days, the fans, the players. Uh, we saw some skills here. You know, Laka had a chance to play in a different position with a little bit of space and show off what he could do. And I mean... That uh, that screamer and the the movement on it. I mean, <clears throat> it did him some good. I don't know if we'll be able to cash in that anywhere down the line. But a lot of these players will come out of this feeling a little bit better because, you know, you, you get to play in training. Then you get maybe you're getting ten minutes on the pitch against a bunch of bruisers who are giving you no space in the Premier League. Finally, you get on and you get to play and you get to express yourself as a footballer. And I enjoyed watching it. And these guys can remind you what skills they really have that you mostly don't get. You know, even if you're playing well in a Premier League game, your chances to do something. You look at somebody like Pepe, even if he's in okay form in a Premier League game, he might get two moments in a game where he can beat a guy, uh, nutmeg a guy, uh, lay off a good pass because he's only got 30 minutes or he's got 70 minutes and he gets his couple of moments and here's a game in which they these guys can really express themselves it's good for them and i mean the manager takes it very seriously you can see that looking on from the sideline so if any of these players didn't realize that there it's still an audition everything's an audition to get into the first team we're still um looking for the the, the cast for our starting 11 for the rest of the year. There are gaps in our team. We don't really have a 10. Um, we have positions in midfield that are not exactly locked down. So, uh, And right now, at this point in our trajectory, the manager n- is desperately looking for players who will step up, midfielders who will score mm. goals. He's been talking about that all week. Lacazette putting one in. Uh, playing as a 10 you know he he doesn't want to play with only one goal scorer in the front line and no goal scorers in midfield if smith rowe stays fit although we only had a few minutes here he looked the part and he looked fit mm-hmm. and he looked like he could play a role so i think everybody here was auditioning for something but yeah i enjoyed yeah. it 
I, the, the hard thing, right? The level of the opposition is terrible, and it is not yep. analogous to the Premier League. And we have seen every yep. Thursday kids play well, and every weekend the team not match it. But if you want to have a meritocracy, if you want to build a squad where players feel they have a path to first-team action, you have to let good performances in the Europa League mean something. Joe Willick earned a role in the first team through his Europa League performances and admittedly hasn't really matched them, obviously, but that's how you want to do it. And so I think there are some players earning their role. I I will say this. If you're not a patron, no big deal. We'll always have free pods for you. No pressure to do it. But if ever there was a reason that you might want to be a patron, it would be to listen to the Instant Reaction podcast that we did yesterday because, and I shit you not, (laughs) Paul chose Pepe as his stock falling. I'm not kidding. And I'm not happy about it. I just want to be on record that. So, Clive, let's talk a little bit about Pepe. Um, I, I know some of the young kids are exciting, and, and that's something that I, I know you'll want to talk about. We'll get to it. But let's talk Pepe just for a second. There's a little bit of me that thinks maybe the red card is the best thing that could have happened to him. Some tension between him and Arteta. Maybe an Arsenal career that's not going in the right direction. A lot of pressure on him in the Premier League games. And flashing some brilliance, but not quite getting it done. And then he gets this red card, and he seems to really want to prove that he belongs and he sort of apologized and the player and the coach have come together and maybe there's some noises that maybe Arteta's realizing he needs to do more arm around the shoulder stuff than boot up the backside stuff with Pepe. And this is second consecutive Europa League performance where he really looked at it. And again, it's lesser opposition. But like, if Arteta gets three Europa League games to see Pepe really being dynamic, and kind of rebuild the relationship with the player. And he's taken out of the pressure of the Premier League, and he he shows Arteta that he can do something individually that no one else in our team can, and that makes Arteta feel that he's got to integrate this guy, and that sort of rehabilitates a situation that was getting sideways. I mean, I'm grasping a little bit at straws because I'd rather have him in the Premier League than not have him, but can you see this kind of performance and and, and the way he's responded and the, the removal of that pressure as being a an opportunity to kind of hit the reset button in the mind of the coach and fans and player alike and, and get him back on track? I think um, we're searching for a narrative with Pepe. And depending Always. Whether you, <laughs> whether you like him or not, and what you read and believe. You know, and it's When you've got a player that's your record signing, you you are searching for a narrative because you he may not be reaching your expectations. And those expectations, we have to ask ourselves whether they're fair ones. I think it's very unfair that he was... Uh, labelled with that price tag, which I don't think was his fault, and we've got our suspicions whose fault that was, right? So, but there you go. So we have this player that's super talented, and now we have a, a, a bright young coach trying to establish a way of getting him to play. Now, it depends what you want to believe. I've heard that Pepe, just from reading things and listening to people who are quite well-informed, that he is one of the biggest coaching targets of Arteta in, in all the sessions and... He's getting the most attention. And, and that makes sense to me because you look at his talent, you think if I can get him to work, then that makes all our jobs look easier. And here are the things that maybe lacks a little bit of seriousness on the pitch. And I saw this in this game. I think there was a period after half time where he was taking a Mickey. He was taking Mickey out of them. He was trying some tricks. He was trying to beat the fourth man and the fifth man when he could have took a shot. And I look at him and, and think, come on, mate, just come on. Just be a bit more serious because you're good enough. You're good enough to score in any game you want to score in if you're serious enough to con- to stay connected to the game and stay focused and, and concentrated and look after your talent and make sure you, you know, take a, you understand where the risk is for your decision making and understand where you just need to be a bit more clean and solid. And 
so yeah, from a, my personal point of view, I, I like this type of player, as you sort of know, and um, and so I'm desperate for him to succeed. But I think sometimes, and you said it the other weekend, I don't think he's ever going to succeed to my expectations. And it's not because he won't be a good player, it's just all linked to the price tag around him. And that's a shame, because if this was a 35, 45 million pound player, We'd feel a lot different to what we to what we do today. So I hope it's a turning point. It's a turning point in our mind because we've created that narrative. Um, but I hope it's a turning point because you know we need him, don't we? We haven't got this prime age attacking player in the last two or three years, maybe maybe a little bit more. We've added Pepe and we've added Willian into the top end of the pitch. One is 32-year-old with a three-year contract that we're still integrating into the club and people have opinions on. And the other one, the 24-, 25-year-old record signing that's sort of just flashed in small periods. And so we need one of these to work, don't we? We really do, because otherwise we're the same attackers that are rolling out consistently and teams are ready for us and they're stopping us and our goals for Colin is telling us that we, we need some freshening up in this area, we need someone to get hot. So we put a lot of dependency on Saka, but not dependency on Martinelli, because they're new, they're fresh, they're young, and we want something new. So that's a narrative we're creating in our own mind. So I hope Pepe succeeds, as we all do, and when he comes back, I think, I'm not sure the game he's coming back into, but when he does come back, we just hope he does it in the Premier League and, and puts this narrative behind him of being a flashy moments player into being a serious Premier League player. Yeah, and look, I acknowledge, Clive, I think you're dead on that he is a moments player. But like the funny thing is, if we were pushing for the title, you might say, not good enough. You know, could Adama Traore play in a title-winning club? Probably not. You know, Zaha, everybody likes Zaha. Is he consistent enough to be in a title-winning team? But like, we're not a title-winning team. We're trying to push for top four, and we don't have a lot of individual brilliance. Um... And so moments may be enough for right now, for where we want to go. If the next three or four seasons is Pepe providing brilliant moments with, you know, I mean, look at Mesut Ozil, right? I mean, Mesut Ozil probably wasn't consistent enough throughout his career at Arsenal, but we did finish top four quite a bit with him there, and we did have some good seasons with him there providing the moments in the smaller games. And that's the other thing. Pepe may be a guy who, you know, kind of similar to Mesut Ozil, doesn't beat Bayern for us, doesn't beat Chelsea for us, doesn't beat, and to be fair, he's been good in some big games, but like, but if he can start beating up the smaller teams, that would help us get where we want to go. Tim Dom uh, on Twitter, um, who is at DomC0801. Uh, of course he is. What else would he be? Uh, he also does the buy the visuals for uh, Arsblog. I thought he had a, a great point about how we set up in this game because we kind of did a box in midfield. El Nenny kept dropping in mm. between the two center backs to collect. Lacazette, I, I kind of looked at him as being like the number 10, but actually he and Maitland-Niles kind of formed a box, and Pepe and Nelson came more central to form that box a little bit. Not always. And Pepe was on the left, and we can maybe get to that um, variation as well. But it, it allowed us to have so much more access to central spaces as Nelson and Pepe, you know, there were dummies and overlaps and underlaps and, and a little bit more one-twos. And I acknowledge that, again, all of the things we're going to analyze are related to the level of the opposition, which was dreadful. But... Just mm. the spacing, you know, we've been saying for so long, formations don't matter, formations don't matter, but like, they do matter in terms of where you want players to be on the pitch in possession, and and this was a lot more centrality. Elneny in the middle, deeper, Lacazette and Maitland-Niles taking up central spaces in sort of the middle of the field, Pepe and Nelson taking up more central spaces in the final third, and you can do that more when you're not as worried about getting hit on the counter, I get that, but 
it did work a lot. So how did you feel about that sort of variation in terms of structure and, and how it did give us access to more central spaces, which, you know, I mean, the, the horseshoe of sadness that we've seen as our past map <laughs> in recent games, for lack of a better way to put it, like it was completely gone. Yeah, I guess what's reassuring um, about this is that, you know, again, we, we can't say that this solves the problem because, um, I you know, I liked the 4-2-3-1 against Mulder um, and then we played it against Wolves. And <laughs> it didn't really make much difference. Mm. But what it shows, at least, is that Arteta is alive to the problem. Um, and like you said, centrality um, is a problem. And and he's he's trying some things out at the moment. And I, and I kind of I mean, it, it's one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't things. I have mixed feelings about it. And I think you could view it either way. On one hand, you could say, yep, this is good. He's recognizing the problem. He's trying to fix it. Um, and, and I guess it's results oriented. Right. Because if if that you know, if that happens, you say, great, he was pragmatic. He saw the saw the problem, fixed it. On we go. Um, if it doesn't work, then it starts to look a bit Unai Emery and it starts to look like we're just thrashing around playing a different formation every week. Um, I, I don't I have to say, I don't think we're quite in that territory because I think he is explicitly trying to address um, some problems and 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 yes, I, I liked that box shape. It it gave us more connectivity. I I thought the four two three one did that. And to be honest, I I still think it can. Um, I just think we didn't do it very well against Wolves, and I'm not really sure I understand why we were so intent on chucking crosses into their box. I, I really I still don't get that. Um, and a few things Arteta is saying is worrying me a little bit. He's talked about the lack of ruthlessness mm. in front of goal. And I've been thinking, hmm, that's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing not many chances yeah. and therefore everyone you miss is precious. Um, so, but, but no, I liked this. Uh, I think, I think it suited a couple of players. Um, the first one is Reese Nelson and I've, we've seen him do this before under Emery. Um, the first game of last season away at Newcastle, um, you know, we know that Emery kind of liked this box shape and, and one player who could play it under Emery was Mkhitaryan and, and Iwobi. They could kind of do it, um, you know, not outstandingly because they're not world-class players, but it, but it suited them. And I think Nelson's another one like that. And, and he played it away at Newcastle last season where he's coming off that right flank. I, I, I think that's um, that's kind of what he is. Um, I don't think he's quite a chalk on the boots winger, um, and I don't, you know, I definitely don't think he's a number ten. I, I sometimes quite like him on the left, but really, the reason I like him on the left more than the right maybe is because he gets into this this kind of half space, and 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 I much preferred that, and so it suited him more. I thought he had a good game, and I've seen him play well there before. I, I, the other player it really suited was Maitland Niles, um, and. Again, I've said many times, I, I, I just I just don't understand why Maitland-Niles in midfield has has become um, why it's it's not been tried more. Because I think he's played really well there, at least well there every time I've seen him play that. I don't remember him playing badly there. So so I don't you know, I'm not I'm not saying like with absolute confidence. Yep, he's definitely a central midfielder play him there every game. I just I I really honestly don't understand why we haven't seen more of it. I can't I can't think of a reason. It's like he does it like twice a season and does it really well. And then we go, "Oh, that was good." And then we don't do it again. And I I just don't understand it at all. Um particularly with the standard of Arsenal central midfield over the last That's the, the last key. couple of seasons. That's the key to yeah, me, Tim. Because yeah. do, do you think he's 
a good central midfielder, or do you think he is someone who has things that we just desperately lack in central midfield, so he becomes an option by by dint of having those qualities without okay. actually being good necessarily? It could be, but I, I still don't think we've seen enough of it. But what I quite liked about him playing this like supporter running role, um, which again is just something we haven't had and we don't have in any of our other central midfielders. And to be honest, I I never earmarked him for that. I I thought, yeah, I'd play him like in in a deeper role in midfield. But what I really liked about this is when you look at some of his qualities, um, you know, that kind of the shake and bake, give and go type thing um, and his ability to get around players i think that really that's really well suited high up the pitch um maybe maybe less so in his own like defensive third Uh, and i thought that was really interesting like the the way he kind of he was able to use that skill set that nice easy glide and dribble he's got um and actually that works quite nicely on the edge of the box not least because we really don't have any other players that do it and and i wonder if that's an experiment worth repeating Mm, yeah, maybe so. I, you know, I I am of the opinion, and don't yell at me, that Maitland Niles is not a good enough passer to be a regular central midfielder at the level we want to go. But I, you're gonna you're gonna get your chance to yell at me. Just don't yell at me yet. Um, and and I think the reason I'm still fine with trying him there is, as we've discussed in previous pods, we have neither the athleticism in midfield nor the technical quality in midfield. So it's like, at some point, you look at Elneny. Elneny's a great example. Did any of us going into the season think Elneny's a plus passer? No. Safe. You know, keeps it. Is he a plus athlete? He'll run around. He's got an engine. That's good. But just by virtue of having an engine and running around and being safe, he looks like he's got to start for us. And so that tells you the level we're at. And I think Maitland-Niles, he can carry it a bit. He is a shutdown defender at some level, so he can address some of those issues. He can run back towards his goal at a pace faster than a snail. I mean, there was one moment in this game, Danny Ceballos played two of the best passes I've ever seen in this game, but like, he also had a situation where he tried to run once, and like, I just got sad watching it for him. Um, Maitland-Niles can run. He can carry. He can defend. All right, he's not a great passer. He just isn't, um, especially with that final ball. But no one else is. you know. So maybe that's a solution. Clive, I'm going to do this. It is, it is technically Paul's turn. So just put a pin in your comments about Maitland-Niles and how much you hate me for saying them. We'll, we'll come to it momentarily. But Paul, I just want to quickly go to one other topic. I think this is an area where maybe I think that um, the level of opposition does matter. I thought this was a great Lacazette game. And I, I think what we saw is that given the opportunity to get the ball a little deeper and distribute, he was able to do it. I'm really torn on what to make of that. Because, Paul, I feel for Arteta. He's tried Willian there. He's tried Willick there. He's tried Lacazette there. I don't know that I think Lacazette can do it at the Premier League level. But I do think this, and this is important, and I, I this is where I want to get your take on it. When he's tried Lacazette, he's done it as the false nine. So he's the striker dropping into midfield. When he did it today, there was a striker ahead of him too. So he wasn't vacating the central attacking space to drop into midfield in this game. He was just in the midfield attacking space, and there was a striker ahead of him. So how do you feel about Lacazette playing this role, not as the striker vacating the attacking space, but with another striker like Aubameyang in front of him, and could that be a variation that might work, that might unlock this solution? Um. So like you say, quality of opposition, but against... I mean, he played a similar role, wasn't the last game against Mulder when he played 
as basically a 10. Um, and that wasn't particularly good. He didn't really do anything. Um, and before that one, I said, I, I liked the idea of it on paper. I wanted to see how it played out. And as you pointed in the, out in the game, it didn't really play out. He didn't really do the things that on paper he might have done. Um, this was good. Maybe he had a bit more space again than even against Mulder. Um, but I do think, I mean, he's a very technical player. I mean, he has skills. He, he maybe doesn't have the speed that you need as a, a striker now to threaten their line, to push them back, to, to make them think twice about him getting in behind them. Um, but he's still got a... Mm. And I just lost Paul, which may be because my internet is out. So we're going to find out. Uh, me too. No, you lost Paul as well. Good. So this is the rare opportunity for me to let you in on a little behind-the-scenes nonsense. Uh, my internet, despite <laughs> living in a country that you would think has a good internet infrastructure, is uh, basically a styrofoam cup, a string, and another styrofoam cup on the other side. But uh, in this instance, thankfully, it is not my internet. I was curious to see where Paul was going with that. But as he is not available at this time, it does give me I'm the not. opportunity. Oh, you are back. Finish your thought, Paul. You just you just took a little siesta, recharged your batteries. Off you go. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. Sorry, guys. I could hear you all clearly. Um, look, I think he's got a good eye for a pass. Um, he has very much played the support role but from the striker here. So it's interesting. It doesn't mean anything till we see it in a Premier League game. We don't even know if Arteta's serious about it till he tries this with... Uh, Aubameyang as the out-and-out number nine and Lacazette as a a hybrid number 10 slash support striker depending on, on state of the game or how they're lining up against us. It could be very interesting. I think he has enough athleticism for a number 10 um, and he definitely has the mindset of somebody who will create for others and lay off a pass and um, he's physical enough to do some hold-up play. Um, in that space, you know, he, he's going to be in the zone 14 space. He's not a guy, unlike Ozo when he plays the 10, he, Ozo will tend to go out to the channels, uh, off towards the wings to make triangles. But Lacazette will stay central and he's physical enough, battles enough, uh, to stay near the zone 14 in the tree of Burnley defenders and midfielders where they crowd you out. I mean, that's the difference between a Premier League game and <clears throat> these guys. Uh, nine times out of ten, they'll just fill the middle. If, the, if they think you're an, an attacking threat, which maybe we aren't anymore, but if they confuse us for an attacking threat, they'll just block the middle like Newcastle or Burnley would against us and make us go down the edges. And Lacazette can fight in the middle of it. He's been so isolated as a striker. But with Aubameyang a hell of a lot closer to him, now we've got reasons to pass into the middle um, and connections to make. So uh, we still have to call Arteta's bluff or have Arteta call his own bluff and see if he'd actually do this in a Premier League game and go for it. Because it's interesting, and we don't have those options as a number 10. That's why I was particularly intrigued to see mm. Smith Rowe getting a run here. I think he'll get, he'll make those runs into the box, and mm. I think he's a finisher, maybe more than you do. But, um, you know, we then might have two options to play as a 10. Yeah. Um, I... 
You know, I, I think my general takeaway is what I led into with this question, Paul, which is simply that the idea of, of playing a front three where the nine drops into midfield to create the link and, and then vacates, you know, that sort of central attacking space. You can say, well, it works so well for Liverpool. It's what they do with Firmino. I think, first of all, realize what Liverpool do. They win the ball back high up the pitch. They are playing the highest line in the league right now. So when their possessions start, They've compressed all their lines up the pitch. And so the links are very evident. And the two wide forwards who are tasked with kind of creating the centrality in the box and, and the chances, Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah are two of the best players in the league. Um, and players who can succeed on the ball and off the ball. When you look at Arsenal, we start our possessions deeper than almost any team in the entire league. So when the nine is dropping into midfield, he's dropping very far from the box. The lines become very disconnected and the forwards are very isolated. And that's where you wind up with the horseshoe of sadness. And so I think pointing to Liverpool as an example of a front three that plays more of a false nine who drops in and has a connecting role doesn't work because we are starting from a position on the pitch that is totally different from where they're starting. And unless we're going to press and start possessions in the attacking half, I think if you're going to play Lacazette in that role, there has to also be a striker in front of him like there was in this game. Whether or not you can do that in the Premier League without getting ripped apart, whether Lacazette has the ability to play in that zone of the pitch in the Premier League, that's another story, and I can't answer that based on Europa League. Clive, I I want to start to turn the conversation towards the North London Derby, but there's still a lot of meat on this bone, and I acknowledge that you haven't been given the chance to yell at me yet about about my Inslee Maitland-Niles takes. So, Realize, I think Maitland-Niles in midfield makes sense under the circumstances of our midfield being hashtag bad, but I'm not convinced. And by the way, I think it was Arsene Wenger who said the player's future is 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 as a central player, as a midfield player. So what do I know? But you want to you want to defend your boy? No, not really. Um, You guys know what I think of this player. I'll I'll come on to in a second. Quickly do Lacazette. Mm Mm-hmm. Difference when we play Lacazette as a as our centre forward is when he receives the ball, he he's, his role is restricted by ambition because he receives the ball square back to goal, and his whole team is in front of him. If you see what I mean, he's looking back towards our own goal, and he can see his whole team. Right, so his role immediately becomes best case scenario as a setter, or if he can roll round to one side and spin us out to wide areas. Right, so. In this role he played yesterday, if he can receive it on a half term <clears throat> and do a little wall pass with an El Nini or, or um, Maitland-Niles, when he turns around, he sees Enketia, he sees Pepe, and he sees Nelson. So straight away, the ambition in his game is different. That pass he played through to Pepe for the square, I did not know he had that pass in him. None of us did. Because he never gets the ball with Snyo where he's got two or three options ahead of him. It's all about body shape for him and, and what he sees. So suddenly he becomes an ambitious player. Suddenly, the lack of clarity in the box when he's received the ball highest up and won't take his shot, he's, he's much clearer from a deeper position when he can only he can see the stick, he can see his options, and suddenly the decision becomes easier. Bang. Goal. If you look at his Leon videos, I keep saying it, look at them, they were all cutbacks. We were forward ahead of him, a forward collapse in the defence, Cutbacks, banging shots, penalties. Just have a look at it. Now, I did my research before he signed, thinking, what is he? And for me, he was always a second forward, a one plus one. And that's what he did yesterday. He did it really well. I'm not sure he could transmit at 29, 
But that's the role for him, to have legs around him and almost be the base of our front four diamond. And so on the Maitland Niles, now if these Europa League games for me, what they're showing me really is the future of what our team's going to be. And so if you're looking at the game, don't look at the system we're playing. Look at the dynamics of the players that are playing. We look a completely different dynamic animal. Football is a lot about, not systems, but developing superiorities and, and numerical advantages. And to create numerical advantages, you have to travel from zone to zone really quickly and get to the where the ball is, get around, overload, tip-tap, cross, goal. That's the positional coach dilemma. Really, that's his structure. But we have a positional coach <clears throat> with players that can't travel between the zones. Mm. We can't create numerical advantage. We can't spring. So we focus on the system. It's not the system. It's about game states, what we do at this stage of the game, what we do at that stage of the game. But to control those game states, to control those mini transitions, you need to have people who can move. They need to be able to move quickly. And what was really apparent, I, mean, I know Tim was there, not many people were there, but I'm sure Tim was looking at that pitch, watching these guys just spring up the pitch, absolutely sprinting through the zone, sprinting through to get up the pitch. I mean, what Maitland-Niles did to create the third or fourth goal for Smith Pro, I mean, that sprint is just unbelievable. I mean, just like, just bang, I'm going. I knew he was coming. Gets round, and you make an advantage. Can't track him. Side foot goal. That does transfer if you have more players like that. And for me, the future of Arsenal has to be faster, quicker, more technical. And that's what we're seeing in these Europa League games. Mm. Of course, it's the level, but just look at the player types. Don't look at their position. Don't look at the system. The player types, they go. They run. They third man run. Smithrow comes on. He goes. Balogun comes on. He goes. He moves. Two runs. They, they, they move well. And that's the basis of our future going forward. We have to move away from these non-running, sideways passing, unambitious players that are feeding into each other and restricting our style. They they spread, These guys spring from each other. When one does it, they all start to do it. Then we become a really progressive team. I think that's what I gain from these games. And I think that's the future of our football. I'm hoping Arteta is looking at this and saying, okay, these guys may not be ready right now, but it's these times I have to buy going forward. Yeah, I, I think that's well said. And I, I you know, I, I think if you don't have really skillful Midfielders, Like, if you don't have Santi Cazorla, if you don't have Cesc Fabregas, if you don't have that caliber of player, um, you know, the Alex Kleb type, you know, even if you didn't love Kleb, he was skillful. I think Thomas Rosicki, Jack Wilshere in his prime, Aaron Ramsey. Um, then I would always say you might as well put athletes in the middle of the pitch. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think Liverpool have the the best midfield in the world, and I, I don't think you have to to succeed. I mean, granted, it's it's gotten better with some of the additions they've made. Um but if you don't have Kevin De Bruyne, if you don't have David Silva, then then get some athletes in there. And like Thomas Party, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, they they are people that will make it less fun to try to play through our midfield and who can turn yeah. the recovery of possession into attack quicker. Um, you know, Granite Shaka, we've seen it, right? Like he he can't do anything. But one thing he can't do is he can't turn defense into attack quickly. And I think so much of the modern game is about turning changes of possession into attacks. Um how do you do it? 
You can do it with a player who's great with the one-touch pass. You can do it with a player who carries it forward beyond the players that have just turned the ball over and starts attacks that way. Players that can get up and down the pitch, two-way players. Um, but you can't do it with guys like Shaq. And maybe you can't even do it with a guy like Danny Ceballos. I don't want to kill him. Um, but you know what? He does seem to want the extra touch. He does seem to range around to try to follow the ball and then get out of position. I don't know. Um, I did like this Maitland Niles performance. I want to be clear about that. I thought it was really good. I wish he was a little better passer. Maybe he could develop that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the thing with Maitland Niles, I think really, it's really not so much his passing. Uh, it's more his sometimes off the ball, he can turn into a defender and just stand there and look and wait for the lane and wait to go and get somebody. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need to be a bit more metronomic, you know, mm-hmm. moving with the game, tracking a, a little bit more half pace. He's either a hundred miles an hour or he's really on the beach. You know what I mean? Like Bob Wiley mm-hmm. style. So I just think he just needs to create a bit more metronome in his game. But because he's so quick, he's, he doesn't seem to be out of position too often. And I just think he's he needs more time. Five games in that, but in in midfield. Five, get, five games as inverted right back. I promise you, if he can just get the trust, he's exactly the type of player we like. Whether he's in the first level, I'm not saying he should be. But my goodness, he should never be out of the squad. We should not, in my opinion, we should not be looking at Cedric in this world ahead of him. That doesn't feel right to me. Mm. Uh, Paul, briefly. Yeah, I just wanted to, uh, you know, I, I see Maitland-Niles as being potentially a dynamite wide player for us, fullback, wingback. But his future in our midfield, you guys have made a really uh, strong case for uh, us having a look at him. The, to me, Arteta has been trying to fix from the beginning, one problem. The fact that Arsenal, for the last best part of a decade, just get rips on the counter-attack, on transitions. And that's why he's done this somewhat slightly weird, clunky thing with our build-up from the back. Not that he wouldn't have done it, but he he may not have done it as rigidly as... now. And now he's switched to this, whatever, 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1. He's tried that out for a couple of games. And we've got absolutely plundered by uh, Villa. And in our last game, just, rip, you know, Will, Wolves ripped us apart. All, and it seems like it's one thing to get beat. It's another when it seems like it's at will, when the opposition realizes it's on and have a couple of players who can run at you. They do it at will. Wolves did it. Aston Villa did it. And... You know, you need players, until you come up with a more sophisticated scheme, you need players who can cover the counter, who can cover transitions. And Partey's very likely one of them, based on what we've seen. And Maitland-Niles could be another player who makes those recovery runs. And I, uh, it, if it isn't, if Maitland-Niles isn't doing it, I'm not sure who that other player in our team is who can cover, make a recovery run. We don't, we don't have other athletes that would play deep, within our team. Mm. So, uh, and mm. w- even if you have one, I mean, party gets a, a tweak and we're, we're screwed, but sometimes you need two, three athletes in, in your midfield. So I'm not saying Maitland Niles is the answer, but there are, there are positions open here all over this team. If any of these young guys, you know, if he's at an age where he should be ready to step up. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Um, look, I- it's it's also important, like, there is young and then there's not quite so young anymore. You know, 18 is young, yeah. 19. So, so, this is the thing that we kind of miss, I think, sometimes when we, 
just keep saying our young players are going to blossom into stars. Saka's still a teenager, and he is a stud, and we all agree, and we all see it. Doesn't mean he's perfect every game, but he is there. He's going to make it. These 22, 23-year-old guys who were still like, oh, if he gets his chance, he's going to explode. It's not to say that they can't get better, but like they're not young anymore. Ainsley Maitland-Niles is not young anymore. He's Danny Ceballos' age, basically, right? Like, he's young in the sense that he will get, he can still get better, but he's not Saka. He's, the idea that there's a leap in him, I think is maybe sort of misunderstanding where players make a leap in their career. Don't get me wrong, you got guys like Jamie Vardy who, like, you know, drink beer under a bridge like Tim for, till they're 28, and then suddenly become a golden boot winner somehow, and then, you know, PEDs and stuff. And then, you know, you have, you have defenders who blossom later, for sure. I don't know that I see like world beating central midfielder, you know, finds his role at 23 and becomes a star is, is a hugely common trajectory. So I, I think I we think- should be careful. Well, just, just for one second, I, I think we should be careful because we've done this. We've watched Europa League games, got excited by performances. It hasn't panned out for us. And I, I want to be careful doing that. I want to enjoy the performance, but I, I do think sometimes the desire to see a future for our academy kids once they've sort of passed the age threshold where a big future is likely is a bit of an issue. Like, I, I, I want to see it for all of them, of course. But, like, I'd be much more inclined to be giving Balogun minutes than Enkedia. I'd be much more inclined to be giving Smith-Rowe minutes than, you know, Willick and Maitland-Niles, if you if you catch my drift. And and I'd like to bring Tim back in so he doesn't fall asleep. But la- last word on that, Clive? I just want to say, sorry, Tim, I just want to say, you hit it there and find the role. It doesn't matter what your age is. We haven't, you know, we as a club haven't found his role yet. He's played in multiple positions as a utility player, but we haven't found his role. He's played left wing back, left back in the four, right back in the four, right wing back. He's now playing midfield. Arteta mentioned he's almost like an attacking midfielder. He's a utility player, so I'm not saying that he should be a star. I'm saying that he should be in our squad and he should have more minutes than he's getting. You know, that's my feeling. I'm not saying he's the answer to our midfield dreams, because I'm not. But I'm I'm looking at him and thinking that's the type of player that should be in our midfield rotation. Yeah, of course. Because and that's I don't disagree because we have a need for for his his quality. It's just funny. Like no one would think of Kieran Tierney as a kid who we hope comes good. Kieran Tierney and Ainsley Maitland-Niles are the same age. You know what I mean? Hector Bellerin, who were like he's washed, he's done. He's two years older. You know what I mean? So it's like, um. It's not to say, by the way, that we shouldn't use him, that we shouldn't try it, that we don't need the solution, and that he can't come good because he clearly can. I just think um, we we get to a point where we still think of them as academy kids and they're not really that anymore necessarily. Tim, uh, I, I did mention two of them, and before we turn to the Derby, which we really, really got to do, um, and, and now the Derby preview is getting shorter and shorter as our window of time gets closer to closing, but welcome back into the podcast. Um couple of interesting cameos here. I mean, a longer one for Smith Rowe and a goal-scoring one, Balogun. Mm-hmm just seems like he has something about him. I mean, do you have any frustration? I mean, look, Lacazette gets a start in this game. There's some players starting this game that maybe you say um, could have made room for for younger players. Maybe Smith-Rowe could have gotten on sooner. Maybe Balogun could have started in, instead of Enkedia um, or ESR instead of Lacazette. I think they look bright, and, and it's it's way too early for them to really have an impact. But the number of useful games for these guys is is reducing, right? Like, we've... We're running out of Europa League group mm. games, and after that, once you get into January, all the games kind of matter, um, and you're kind of out of easy op- opportunities to give these fringe academy kids minutes. So 
Would you like to see them both maybe get a start in the Europa League before that group stage is over? And and how do you feel about their cameo and just sort of Arteta's ability to utilize these games now to really give those fringe guys a last look at some some real playing time? Yeah, certainly. So for, for Dundalk, I'd definitely like to see Balogun start. Um, now that like top of the group is done, um, for for absolute definite, I, I'd I'd really really like to see that. And you know, like you said about the window shutting, we've got a Carabao Cup game, but it's against Man City, yeah, exactly. and that's going to require um, a big effort and and probably close to a full team. And that means that Dundalk will have to fall by the wayside in terms of that. And and I think that Arteta, you know, when he spoke before the Molder game about getting this over and done with um, over the Christmas because of the congested Christmas period I think he had an eye on that Man City game I think he was thinking I I want to I want to save some of my guys for that game so I don't want them in Dundalk needing a point or something stupid like that Um, with Smith Rowe so I do think the game was valuable for Lacazette because his form's been in the toilet a little bit and you know giving him this game having him score like a bit of a screamer um all fine with me and smith rowe is probably not fit enough or at least um they need to take care with smith rowe on fitness grounds and i did read earlier this week you know reports from uh, fairly well-sourced arsenal journalists saying that he might go out on loan again in january um, but probably because of the point you're making. And it's really unfortunate for him again that he's coming back to fitness just at the time um, where the, the games for him are kind of running out. And the thing is for Smith about sending Smith Rowe on loan, like I, I, I've seen this player for the youth team, like talent wise, extraordinary. And he came into this game and, you know, we talk about like Rapid Vienna being a bit rubbish, but I mean, you know, this, Emil Smith-Rowe, he's still a kid. He's he's 20 now, but like he was doing this at 18. He was like, he was, he made very, very short work of Europa League group games. He already had goals in Europa League group games. He, talent-wise, he has got it. And I think Arsenal know that. The question is whether he's physically got it. And I think that is what we will send him out on loan to discover because we need to know whether his body can stand the rigours of weekly football. That's what we don't know. We know he's talented. Um, you know, We know he's not the finished article yet. We also know he's got a lot of things that we don't have in the team and I'm I'm desperate for him to make it probably more than any of our other younger players just because I think I think he's perfect for us um, I really do like in terms of his attributes I was really pleased to see him come on and score a goal as well Love, like he just when he takes the ball he looks like a seasoned professional the way he receives it the way he turns and looks up and knocks it like he doesn't play like a teenager um, but he's still got a teenager's body um, and that that might be an issue i really really hope it's not but that's what we've got to find out with him mm. but Balogun, yeah i'd really like to see him start the next game i do see you know uh, i do see the point still in starting in ketia just because he is still you know in and around the first team squad and they want you know to give him games but, but is that just by default should he be you know what I, is is he is he so good well, that we shouldn't just give it to the maybe arguably bigger upside young guy and and Realize that Enkedia uh, might be moving down the table. So we're we're probably we're possibly getting to that stage. I'm not quite sure that we're we're there yet um, because Balogun's he's had two sub appearances. I, I I don't think we've quite reached the stage where we know that for certain. And you know, look, the the, 
the schedule's punishing and the games come quickly and Inketia, you know, Inketia has a lot of first team experience now and you know, if Arteta like needed a goal from the bench on Sunday, um, you know, right, rightly or wrongly, you, you probably tend to just go towards the guy who's done it before. Um, and so, but but definitely for the last group game, I'd really like to see Balogun. And also, you know, there there is a political reason for that. We want him to sign a contract, and for him to sign a contract, we need him to feel like there is a pathway for him. Um, but at the moment, Inketi is that player. Um, and like you said, we've kind of run out, running out of games to give to Balogun to consistently prove that he can, that he can be better. Um, but I, I think we're reaching that stage, but we, we're possibly not quite there yet. What I would have done personally is I'd have brought Balogun on earlier. I'd have given him more than eight minutes. Um, I'd have maybe given him the last half an hour, particularly once in, in Ketia scored, got his goal in the first half. You know, I, I perhaps would have liked to see Arteta say, "All right, nice one, thanks, Eddie. Got your goal. Cheers. You've, 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 you know, you've kind of justified my faith in you. Now I'm going to have a look at this guy for like, give him a good twenty minutes, half an hour. Um, I, that that's maybe the way I'd have done it personally. Yeah, and and to be clear, I mean, like I, I'm kind of of the opinion that Eddie and Kedia is just kind of at that point where I I'd be comfortable saying good player, nice player, nothing against the player, maybe not going to be Arsenal striker material. We're trying to get Balogun to sign a new contract. There's a lot of confidence in him, and he may not make it either, but let's move on the project and see what he's got and uh, you know, maybe try to see if there's a way to integrate him, convince him to get... Um, to, to you know, to get that contract signed, protect the asset value. At, at worst case, I don't know. I, I just I'd like to see him starting. Tim, I'll stay with you for a second. Um, enough about the nonsense Europa League. I think we gave it more oxygen than it than it deserves. Although it was a lot of fun. Now we got to get back to the stuff that maybe is less fun, but could be even more fun. In your view, I express that maybe the North London derby is coming up at the exact right moment for Arteta. Um, agree or disagree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I. I, I'm going to say agree because, and I'm going to say that on the basis that I think Mikel Arteta should agree with that. I think if you're, you know, he's clearly got a lot of self-belief in himself as a, sorry, that's a tautology. Yep. He's, really got, <laughs> he's clearly got a lot of self-belief um, as a coach and things are going a bit wrong at the moment. And he should be looking at this and saying, right, okay, I'm being questioned for the first time. Um, how do I stop those questions? Win at Spurs. Simple as that. That That's, that that takes you a long way with Arsenal fans win at Spurs, um, particularly at the moment where you know perhaps they're they're riding a bit high um, and they're a bit cock a hoop. Um, it it would be and and we're <laughs> quite the opposite. Um, it would be nice to knock them down a peg or two, but yeah, if I were Arteta, I would be saying, yep, this this is the game we want, and also because maybe he can default to some tactics that he's more comfortable with, and this is. Um, this is a game where I don't think like Arsenal fans, myself included, get so nervous and so anxious that really all tactical dissection goes out the window. Like I'm, I'm not going to complain about like if if Arsenal win, I am not going to complain about the manner of it at all. Um, you know, I'm not going to complain if we win with three shots um, and we get an own goal or something like I, I'm, I'm not going to care. I'm really, really not. Yeah. Like the win at Old Trafford you know, to some extent. I mean, granted, exactly. I, th- I thought we outplayed them yeah. for a while, but you know, yeah, but we still only had a couple of shots yeah, and exactly. yeah, yeah, exactly. You're, you're, that's exactly it. Like you just don't analyze those games quite as much and maybe he can default to something 
uh, there and you know there's less pressure on us maybe in terms of the fact that I think everyone's expecting Tottenham to win this quite handily and we've seen many times in the past sometimes to our cost and sometimes to our benefit that um, you know quite often the, the form team doesn't doesn't quite eke out that form in the derby and uh, what a lot of teams uh, there's a lot of talk about Tottenham at the moment and rightly so but they play this counter-attacking style and the kind of the thing they're going to find with people talking about them is teams are just going to go, okay, you're going to counter. We know what you're going to do. You're going to counter attack with Kane and son. All right, we'll let you have the ball. See if you can break us down. And West Brom did that and nearly got a point out of them. And, you know, I, I wonder if we'll try and do that, but um, yeah, like, like Spurs kind of adapted their style a little bit this season. And now they're the talk of the town. And, and, and as we've seen with Arteta, it happened to us. It happened to us. Um, you know, we, we fell on this system and everyone said like, oh, isn't Arteta great? Arsenal are revitalized. Now everyone's worked it out. And um, it will be interesting to see whether that happens to Spurs. I'm not definitely saying it will. Um, and if it does, I would love for us to be the team that does it. Um, and finds them out. So I, I, I agree with you. I, I think that this is um, because this is a game that has its own pressure, right? A pressure all of its own. It is separate from other results. People, Arsenal fans aren't looking at this going, ah, oh, but we've lost quite a few games recently. It's just this game. This is a game you get in isolation for better and for worse um, with Arsenal fans. And, and I, I do think that's probably a good thing for Arteta. It's a bit of a razor's edge to be fair, because the mood around the club and the manager has not been great and losing the Derby, especially if we lose it badly, uh, could be a bit of a cliff, but it is in a way Derby there in the better form. We're in the worst form. And I think as long as we're in the game, people will be maybe forgiving, although maybe I'm giving fans too much credit there. Um, whereas winning it, and I'm not saying we're going to win it, but I mean, I think we could win it. And if, you know, it's a Derby, you throw form out the window as the, as it, as it goes. And, um, I just think that Arteta could use this. He could really use, it means so much to the fans. I think even to the players, they know it means a lot. And like, it just buys you that extra time, that extra patience to then go back to the hard work. Um, whereas, you know, you play a Burnley and get a disappointing draw, or even if you get a win, no, nobody really gets worked up about it. So this, this, this can be a bit of a tipping point game in some ways. Um, obviously, there's a chance Thomas Party could be available. I haven't seen the reports yet. I think he was going to train today, so I don't know if Arteta's come out and ruled that out. Um, I don't know that you want him rushed back and then have to miss a long period of time after that, but having him back would go a long way. Clive, you're the coach. What are they doing that's working? How do we counter it? Oh, uh, you know, this week's been a traumatic week. I suppose going top of the league and us looking terrible and I almost had to go back to football church this week and see what it's all about, what Arteta was doing to remind myself that, you know, our, our manager coach is, is not bad. And during my studying, I look at Spurs and see what they're doing. And I sent you a little note earlier about Spurs falling into a, a back six because we were looking at Shaka and Tobias last week and wondering why they're in our back line. Well, Spurs do exactly the same. They're going to a back six with a centre midfielders with, uh, sorry, Sissoko and um, Hoiberg. They drop in, and what they do in front of them, they put Kane and uh, Ndombele in front of them, and they use them as their breakout, as their escape plan. If you look at Ndombele, there's loads of videos of him rolling people, using his backside, turning people around and then springing. And Kane, you know what he's like. He's, in, he's a golden boy, blonde England captain, 
if you touch him, it's a free kick, right? So they use him as an exit plan. He's very good at buying free kicks. But if you do allow him to turn, he flicks the ball forward to Son or Bergwijn. And what they're doing with Son is quite cleverly, they're, they're using Son on the weakest fullback. So it'd be interesting to see what side Son plays, left or right. That'll tell us a little bit about us. And so, or they might say, put him behind the fullback that's actually really strong, like Chilwell, who then vacates that area like I did against Chelsea and tried to use the space that he leaves. So that'd be quite interesting. So what I would do if I'm Arsenal, I would stay away from Spurs' block, their square, actually go around. So actually, the way we play the back three style and using the wings is the perfect way to play against them. Because if we lose it, we're not losing it in areas where it can spring. But we are going around their strong block because Hoiberg and Tizoko, they are dogs. They can run around, they can tackle. So that's how I would do it. So secure players, nice deliberate passing from the back, bring them on, go around the outsides, and then develop our play from there. That's the way to sort of get around Spurs. Mm. I, you know, I, I think one of the things that we've been guilty of Guilty is the wrong word, but I think one of the things that we've engaged in this season is talking about the ways that that the system can evolve to work the way we want it to work. I, I should I should let me get rid of the we in this and let me say me. I keep trying to picture this four three three that could work. This more attacking formation can work. This more dynamic formation that can work. And I, I have to admit, as I watch it, like I, I don't necessarily see the players there. I still think it's incumbent upon Arteta to find a way to do it. I do think these big games, Paul, give him the chance to default to the one thing that has worked since he's been here, which is back three, counterattacking, building back to front, playing around pressure, you know, doing all that. So do you, you know, I think everything Clive said makes a lot of sense to me. Do you think that Arteta will default to what's worked for him and that we will see essentially the cup final run approach in this game? Yep. I think you guys have covered all the main points here. It. It allows him a tasteful retreat into the system that we've looked the most secure in, in a game we need to look secure. And the tactically, the best thing to do with this Spurs team, what they want you to do is to come at them so that uh, Harry Kane can look like a genius uh, dropping in and, and putting Son through on our goal. The last thing we want done to us. So let's let's give them the problem of taking the initiative uh, get our structure back, get our confidence back a little bit, uh, playing a format we 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 like to play. Um, but, uh, I mean, he's going to have a big decision to make up front and in midfield still. I mean, if we don't know if we we got party or not. If we have party, even then it's not that easy. Who do you, who do you pair him with? Um, they've got a very physical midfield. Now it does lead to us playing into that thing you love so much, our horseshoe shape. Uh, even with party, we've seen where he can be the guy in the middle and he'll have a midfielder or two either side of him that's way wide. You know, Danny Sabias to the right and and uh, uh, Chaka to the left or whoever, uh, basically playing on the wing and we scoop out the middle. Um and we don't take them on because they're going to be far more physical than us, even with party in the middle. Um, so it definitely pushes us, pushing us, pushes us to play the formation that I think Arteta would feel more comfortable on right now. Um, what we do with our front three, three is going to be intriguing against uh, Spurs. Maybe that's not the most important part of it, though. 
I mean, it, it, he's going to, um, Aubameyang's going to struggle to have space through the center. Um, and so maybe playing from the wing, this is one game in which he's not going to have a lot of chances anyway. So you can put him back where he was. And now you got to work out, are you starting with Lacazette? You might well be. I guess he played 60 minutes in this game. And then on the right, it uh, might be William. So then you got the interesting choice at left wing back. Is it Maitland-Niles or, or Saka? It's very probably Saka. But Maitland-Niles could be very useful in this game or use, useful later on in this game coming along and playing a more defensive def- uh, role for us on the left if if we're getting hammered um, and trying to hold on to a point or whatever. Um, but I think you covered the main points here. This does lead us. The best tactic we have right now is probably the one that that most suits us in any case. Put give Spurs the chance or the the challenge of taking on the initiative and see, you know, g- give us their best shot. Oh dear, they just scored three goals. But anyway, give us their best shot and see if we can hang in there, hang with them and play it like a cup final and give it lots of energy. And we need a response. And so the timing's perfect here. This is the game you want a response with the energy. So it'll be interesting. You know me. I want us to attack, and I'm willing to sacrifice defense to attack. And I don't like the eight shots per game football, and I don't want it to continue. It can continue on Sunday because... You can't let them beat you 3-0, 4-0. You just, you just can't. You can't have them running at you on the counter like Wolves were. You can't have them cutting through you like Villa were, like Leeds were. You just can't. So if, if we lose 1-0, I will be sad. And I will feel bad, especially if we don't have a go at them. But you can't get hammered by Spurs in the Derby. You can't. So if he wants to keep it tight and try to win 1-0 or, or you know, eke a draw out of it like under the circumstances while I won't love it I will understand it there are times for hubris and there are times to pull your head into your shell and be a turtle and uh I'd say right now you just you you can't lose this game heavily that that I mean Tim what was your comment you just just win the game just just beat Spurs what what was your comment exactly um yeah just yeah, no, that's it. Just beat Spurs, and that's just beat Spurs, that's the end right? Of it. But like, my my comment would be, just don't get turned over by Spurs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't get me wrong, just beat Spurs is better, but definitely don't get turned over by Spurs. So I I would say that I'm okay with that. And uh, Clive has just typed into the chat, don't stress, chaps. So good. I feel better now. Um, let's leave it there. Big game. There'll be an instant reaction pod full of celebration and mirth uh, on Sunday and then a full pod on Monday. And we love you for being here. Uh, if you are a patron, we still have Scott's analytics pod coming for you with probably a big look ahead to the Derby uh, literally within the hour. So that's coming as well. Uh, Tim's on Twitter. Still better. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woo-hoo. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter. And Gunner, give us a five-star review and uh, write nasty things about Scott. Don't, you know what? He's a nice guy. Don't write nasty things about anyone right now. COVID, all this. Everybody needs a hug. Write nice things about us. Give us a hug. Give us a virtual hug. And I would write like to give you. nasty things about Tottenham. Yeah, write nasty things about. What do we think of Tottenham? Shit. What do we think of shit? Tottenham. In any event, we love you and we will definitely talk to you after Arsenal 10 Spurs nil. Oh.